Welcome back to JK Moto Podcast, weekly motorcycle podcast for the everyday motorcyclist, covering current bike news, specializing in track riding, and club racing. We truly do it all. This week, brought to you by Working Class Customs, which is a custom fabrication shop out of northern Utah. And if you have any more questions on that, you can direct them to Cole. That's me. That's you. What uh, what are we doing this week, Cole? We're uh, having a fake spring. We're getting antsy to pull motorcycles out of the shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And go riding. You know, I actually had a great weekend this past weekend for, for riding. Um, I didn't ride. But I was doing the Facebook thing, and someone posted that they had their whole bike torn apart. They picked this past weekend, which was like, up in the 70s and sunny and then it started raining today and they had their entire bike torn apart like forks were off all the fairings were gone they were yeah so and is it outside no 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 no, no. he's just mad because the weather's nice and he decided to do his bike tear down it's like you know you get to the end of the winter and you're itching to ride but you're also finally like okay i'm just gonna do this project because it looks like it looks like it's gonna be colder for longer then there's a groundhog and uh, the doesn't see a shadow or something too much. The thing we already established, Groundhog's lifespan is not that long. We established that off screen. Off screen. Anyway, I do have some news. Uh, we have another riding tip from your great friend Josh Bittinger over at Bittinger Motorsports. Once again, bringing you your weekly riding tip. Uh, make sure you go check him out. Down in the description, we'll have a link to Bittinger Motorsports. Uh, so this week's riding tip from Josh is ride in the rain. Don't be afraid of rain sessions. View them as an opportunity rather than a hindrance. Wet sessions are a great time to practice smooth brake application. Smoothly rolling out of the throttle and smoothly applying body position or bar inputs. Remember to keep the bike upright and slowly test your limits of traction. Make sure you're running appropriate tires and pressures. Talk with your tire support specialist if you're unsure if you have the right gear and approach rain riding with the right mindset. There's a ton to be learned and you may even learn to love rain riding while everyone else cowers in the paddock. Ride in the rain from Josh Bittinger. I hate riding in the rain. Well, hey, you know, maybe maybe you should also take these tips on board, Cole. Uh, I once will. Again, once again, that's from Josh Bedinger down at Bedinger Motorsports. Make sure you go check him out. He's down in the Texas area doing some great things. We're excited to have him supporting our channel. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned tires and tire pressures, and I think that's kind of a great... That's a great segue. It is. Into, into what we're getting into. We got another guest. Super excited. We can yeah. learn some things. I need to learn some things. I'm excited to talk to him about some tire-related subjects. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we'll, we'll introduce him after the intro, but tires, tires tires are something we're all constantly dealing with. We're all constantly talking about. Never more than on a motorcycle track because you go through them so fast, unfortunately, and... Sure. Pressures are so important, and some of that's the longevity and when to take them off, and I'm ready to get into all that. Awesome. I agree. Let's roll the intro, and uh, and we'll get our guest on. Yesterday, at one point, I was in six. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thank welcome you, Chris Hamlet. Uh, this is Chris Hamlet, the Pirelli dealer for. Let me get this right: South Central United States, correct? 
Correct. So my region is Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and which is pretty big region for a lot of miles. Yeah, that is a uh, it's pretty big. That's yeah. a lot of a lot of travel. Well, uh, Chris, not to let everyone in on the secret, but we might have had some technical issues. So, what uh, how did, how did you phrase that question, Cole? So you're obviously the Pirelli guy now, but and you're into motorcycles. But how did you get how did you get here? How did you get into motorcycles? What started it all? Uh, some bad luck, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, or misfortune, if you will. I, I grew up in in the four wheel. Uh, realm. So from, I don't I don't know how old I was when I started racing cars, but it's been a long time. Didn't know anything about motorcycle racing or track days you know, back during those years. And uh, I had bikes, you know, I guess probably from the time I was 14, 15, started riding on the street, doing all the hooligan stuff like a lot of people do, you know, especially in Houston. We have a lot of hot, open highways and um, you know, just had some misfortune in 05, uh, lost a good friend of mine uh, on the street. And, you know, I just, I think with anybody, you know, kind of, kind of messed my head up a little bit. Uh, and then I, in turn, had a um, bad accident later that year uh, and messed myself up, uh, not, not on a bike, but in the car. You know, it kind of took me out of everything for, for a while, uh, you know, stop, stop racing, uh, obviously, for a little while. And, uh, and the bike stuff, I, you know, I sold all the bikes, did, got rid of all the street bikes, and just is what it is, right? Uh, some time goes by, you know, financially we were doing doing okay, and uh, I got the itch. You know, I think once you get on two wheels at some point in time, you, you never really get, that never really leaves your system. I, I hopped on a bike, and I think I rode it twice. Did, did a couple of meets, and I just, my head just, I couldn't do it. I was nervous. Um, tents and at that point in time i was old enough to know that that's not the way you ride a motorcycle you know that right. just could lead to more bad stuff right and made some phone calls and the next thing you know i was uh throwing the bike and dog in the truck and trailer and was ended up here at uh, ducati ducati austin uh and i met a guy by the, an ex-pro racer by the name of jeff nash and super nice guy he got me outfitted with a, a proper fitting helmet I thought that was pretty interesting and uh, suit gloves and all the gear. And he gives me a little post-it note and he's like, Hey, meet me at this address tomorrow morning at 8am. So we do that. And it was uh, a racetrack and it was a Crescent uh, MS motorsport ranch Crescent, I think, which is a little South of Fort Worth. And that was my first experience uh, with a motorcycle on a track had no idea what i was doing but you know so, Jeff, there was like i think four or five of us what so was you, the bike uh i was on a ducati at the time and and that was the only reason that jeff allowed me to participate uh, because okay. i was one of you know i was one of his customers you know so he he would do that i don't know if he still does it or not uh, i hadn't i hadn't seen jeff in a while but you know back then he would do that every so often he would just uh rent the track and have four or five customers and just you know do kind of like a private track day obviously there's a little bit of an expense back in the day and uh, you know i showed up at the track and uh jeff drug me around and like i said i got back and i remember dragging my knee for the first time on sunday i thought that was like stupid exciting right 
And I laid the suit out on the kitchen floor and I took photos of it and I posted it on Facebook and I was like, I'm Valentino Rossi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the ironic thing is nobody that I was friends with on Facebook knew anything about motorcycles either because we were all car guys. And uh, so everybody was like, huh? (laughs) So, yeah, my my excitement was short lived. So that's your first that's your first track day. And then from, from there, where did we go? Continued to do some more track days. I kind of fell in love with it. And so, uh, you know, I was kind of one of those ones that followed the Ride Smart circuit. So we we have one of our track day organizations uh, in the Texas area, the region. And uh, they did a lot of events. You know, we, we have pretty solid weather around here year round. So I had an opportunity to, to really kind of just get going. And I remember we were at TWS one time, a, a guy that, I didn't know who he was at the time, but he hit me on the track, ran me off the road and uh, came and found me later. And he was apologizing and stuff like that. And that's kind of how we met. And he turned out we became pretty good friends after that. And uh, a few more days, a few more track days after that, we were driving home, I think, from the Dallas area. Because back then we lived in Houston and we were talking to each other on the phone as we were driving because it was like two in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he's like, man, you, you should get your race license. I'm like, my what? (laughs) <laughs> I had no idea. And uh, so he kind of walked me through that process. And the uh, next thing you know, it was uh, I had got my provisional license with CMRA. And my very first event that I showed up to, that same gentleman had brought in some uh, some guys from Florida uh, that were pro guys. And they were on the team to do the endurance because we did big bike endurance back then. Got to know that guy pretty well, you know, had a good weekend and we ended up going to dinner and he was like, well, what's your plans? And I'm like, what do you mean? What is my plan? Like, it's my first race ever. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm just here to have fun. And he's like, no, no. He's like, I watched you ride. He's like, no, you're a competitor, you know, and I don't know, long, long story short, I ended up not participating much in CMRA that year. I ended up going to Weera and uh, riding with those guys for a couple of years when I first started. And uh, eventually we made my way back to Texas. And I've been with CMRA, I think, since 2010, 2011, something like that. So it's, okay. it's been a while. Still participate with Weary events. I still like to go to Road Atlanta and Barber and uh, a couple of those tracks. And, you know, done a couple of CCS rounds and, you know, whatever, Pan Am. So I, I like to travel. So. Sweet. That's well, we're kind of. You got a bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bus in a, in a in a in a big trailer. I can't tell you how long it is because it may or may not be illegal. So. Yeah, yeah. We ain't got to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Going? I had a thought. Sorry, thought left my head. Anyway, Pirelli yeah. shirt, Pirelli hat, Pirelli. Is it always Pirelli? Have you been somewhere else? What else have you tried? I have been. Uh, yeah. When I started. You know, I guess, we're, like I said, 2010, uh, the guys over in, particularly on the eastern side of stuff in Florida and everything, it was a big Dunlop country. And to be honest with you, I was gone for the first couple of years, so I I really didn't know what the correlation with as far as like what, what we now call grid share, right? You know, how many mm-hmm. of the group is on this brand, that brand, and whatever. Um, you know, so I started on Dunlop and uh, kind of broke my teeth with that. And once I made my way back to Texas, I met the previous owner of the business. I, I, I 
bought last year, uh, John Hutchinson. And, uh, you know, he'd been building the Pirelli brand in this region for, you know, I think, I think he had it for about 18 years when I bought it. And I bought my first set of Pirelli tires from him at a ride smart track day, uh, okay. all those years ago. And, you know, I, I kind of like the tire, but you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm still kind of that racer mentality and, uh, I was never a very wealthy person. So, you know, I get the gist of, you know, we kind of do what we have to do, right. As far as budget wise and stuff like that. And things are constantly changing. And, you know, there was a point in time where I was running with Bridgestone. Uh, John also did Bridgestone many years ago and the contingency was good. And I was, you know, on the box consistently. So, you know, it was the better option, you know, budgetary wise, you know, but as things progress, these bikes have gotten way more advanced, uh, so much more power, uh, than when, than even when I started, it's crazy. And, um, you know, I think Pirelli has done a good job at keeping up and, you know, they're all great tires. You know, I, I think if you spend more time working on your bike and getting your geometry and your setup right and focus on what you're doing and particularly pay attention to air pressures, no matter what brand you're on, uh, I think that those are key things that so many guys at the track day level and the club level overlook as far as you know, how that tire performs and, and what it's going to provide for you as far as grip. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've been trying to focus on this year as I've taken over is really be more um, educational and, and provide that. You know, if you think about it, you, you've got what, I don't know, inch, inch and a half, you know, when you're leaned over. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, not, not enough rubber, not a lot of rubber on the track surface. And that's, that's the one contact point that's saving your butt, you know, saving your butt, saving somebody else's butt, saving your motorcycle. So, um, you know, I really press upon no matter where you're at, no matter what level you're at, no matter what brand you're at, trying to get guys starting to pay attention to the technical aspect of tires. And, um, you know, I promote tire warmers a lot. And I think those are critical. You know, it's, it's, that's kind of where it's developed to. And I think having the experience over so long and riding various brands, you know, I think helps. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so, I mean, I'll be honest with you. You're talking to a couple of Dunlop guys. We're not like sponsored by Dunlop or anything, but that's just kind of where we started and where we've stuck to. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. So we're not, as stated earlier, we're not here to have a brand battle today. I think we're just looking to hopefully learn more from you for, for our input and, and to put out to the world. Can you break down yeah. for me real quick the options? If I go to Pirelli, as far as like, We'll keep it track day and racing level. So DOT, track day tire, and then all the way up through the slicks. Okay, so how do I want to preface this? Because I want to put the correct information out there. So let me start by giving a little tidbit of technical knowledge, and then we'll get into the breakdown. Is that okay? Sounds great. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So if you pay attention to MotoGP, World Superbike, or any of the professional stuff, usually at the start of the race, they'll tell you they're running a, a soft, medium, hard compound, whether it's front or rear, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I get asked, and, and I was guilty of it when I first started doing this too, you know, I just want the stickiest compound you got. Right. I, I well, that is that. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let me break that myth 
that is a farsity uh, by all aspects, no matter what brand you ride. Every compound, you have rubber and you have a chemical that's injected to the rubber. Mm-hmm. So when that chemical gets hot, it breaks down the rubber and that's what makes it sticky. Okay. So every compound has a different chemical agent in it, which requires either more or less heat to break the rubber down and make it sticky. So in our case with Pirelli, we have compounds that go as obviously down as low as a qualifier. And our hardest compound is going to be in a, a three and they're just numeric order of zero, one, two, three. And with every, you know, the, the softer, the compound, the variance in the temperature range in which that tire operates at its maximum efficiency as far as grip level. So okay. you have a lot of things that coincide that come into play with it. First and foremost, track temperature, ambient temperature. Is it hot outside? Is it cold outside? Right. Uh, if it's hot outside, then that tire is going to stay hot. It's going to get hot pretty quick, and it's going to remain hot while you're on the track. Uh, next is air pressures. More or less will vary how that tire builds heat or doesn't build heat as you're riding. Uh, and lastly is just overall performance of the rider. You know, the, the faster a particular rider is, obviously he's – Braking harder, he's accelerating harder, he's transferring energy. So every time there's an energy transfer, that builds heat. Right. You know, so so all of those things kind of coincide with you know a particular compound that might be the right option for you any given weekend. Now, mostly, you know, if we're talking about our track day guys, probably. 80% of them are going to go out on a three uh, just because they are a little bit more durable. Um, their heat range, the, the way they heat cycle is, you know, a lot easier. You know, that's a compound that we can also run without having tire warmers. They heat up really quick, like a, like a traditional street tire. So they're a little safer. You know, once you get into the other ones, it's just, I personally, I take them on kind of a case-by-case basis, you know, and, and it's not just with brand. You know, I, I have gentlemen that come to me and, and ladies too, you know, uh, we accept everything. So, you know, if you come to me on a Bridgestone or a Dunlop or, or a Shinko, you know, I'm going <laughs> to do my best to do the researching. And obviously I know more about my own personal tire, right? But uh, I, I don't shy away from any of them. I'm gonna try to provide you uh, the best knowledge that I can about whatever brand you're running. And uh, they are different. You know, the pressures that we run with Pirelli are, are not the same as what the guys that Dunlop run. You know, I'm pretty good friends with the previous Dunlop vendor here in our region too. We've raced against each other for re- for years. Uh, you know, he's, he's been at the pro level a lot so you know fast guy has some track left records in his day and you know we talk tire talk you know and uh i try to pick his brain about the other brands you know that he sold because you know obviously i see a lot of it you know so i my you know the goal is to make sure everybody's is safe and get the best performance out of it yeah so i think uh we we might have talked about that earlier but so you're a pirelli guy and what you're saying is that in the motorcycle community on a racetrack, if I come over to you, no matter what I'm running, the, the goal is to keep me safe. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Basically, Absolutely. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you, you would think that I would probably shy away from that. You know, I, I think in the past, at least from my experience, there was a lot of, uh, and, and I hope my bosses, if they do happen to see this, hopefully they, I don't get in trouble for it, but you know, it is what it is. I'm just an honest guy. Uh, you know, there were times where there was a lot of animosity between, you know, this brand and that brand, as far as the, the human side of it, the particular vendors, right. right? Um, you know, I, I don't believe even that, you know, my whole goal is to, to be around the sport and the people that I love. You know, I've, I've unfortunately had experiences where we've lost some friends over the years. And I can tell you that's that's, you know, maybe you guys have experienced it as well. But it is the it's a gut riching experience. And, you know, for me, safety comes first. I'm still competitive. And, and because I love the community, I think if the sport succeeds, then it's a trickle down effect you know if people are riding and people are competing doing track days and uh you know racing then they're buying tires you can't help it it's it's a consumable item and it is probably the most expensive item that we use in our sport you know so i there's times i mean i've literally gone out to a track this past year with me and two other riders and and spent thousands of dollars and you know track time and tires and uh you know, we did testing because that was a track I, I knew we were going to that there had been problems with a lot of tire tear. And I just didn't believe in that. Like, you know, I believe that there's things that you can do to help compensate it. You know, I, I don't buy into it. Well, it's a, it's a fresh surface and it's rough and all that. That's all true. But I think if you're willing to put in the time, you can find a way to make any particular tire work you know at any at any given track it's the hard part is putting in the time yeah uh so just to to kind of pause there you said tire tear i'll be honest like uh maybe i've said already i don't know but i've I've kind of scratched the surface of of tires the the chemical thing you were talking about kind of i've heard that before i've heard tire tear before i've seen tire wear you can find video after video after video of like hey does this wear look right what is the actual difference between normal wear on a tire and a tire tearing? I mean, obviously, anybody that's, that's when we're talking about competition tires, it's it's going to be pretty noticeable, right? And generally, from a visual standpoint, most tracks kind of lean heavier to one either left-hand turns or right-hand turns right so uh mm-hmm. usually you can see from one side of a tire to the other side and, and kind of gauge what the difference is so if you look at them and go the wear what i'm seeing visually is pretty uniform across the whole entire tire more than likely that's what i would consider normal wear right okay. now if you start getting into where it looks like knife edges and sometimes even chunking on one side versus the other, we have two different types of tear. You either have typically a hot tear or a cold tear. So a lot of that goes back to what I just said earlier. When you're talking about compound selections and everything, it's not just give me the stickiest tire. It's literally there's science behind it. You know, these these companies make, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure millions of dollars you know, and spent millions of dollars in research, uh, you know, Dunlop, Bridgestone, Pirelli, I mean, all across the world from uh, World Superbike, MotoGP, Formula One, you know, this is all stuff that, you know, in their mind, we're building something 
to compete. So they they have specific specifications on on what's going to ma- maximize, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, simple, real simple. You put a, a rain tire on. The biggest thing about rain tires is they work great in the rain. You, know, you get a dry line. What's the first thing everybody does? They come in and, and change tires. Rain tires, you can't get really that hot. They're designed to operate in the wet, which keeps them cool. You know, mm-hmm. As soon as you get them hot, they get greasy, slick. It, it's about the equivalent of riding a slick in the rain. Interesting. Okay. It, it, it's one extreme to the other. Point being, it's they operate in a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously that temperature in the wet is significantly cooler than what we would have in the dry and on slicks. Our average operating temperature on a normal day in Texas, you know, say if it's ambient 90 plus, uh, you know, my tire temps are probably 180 to 190 surface. Uh, I use a probe, so uh, I get down to try to check the tire more in the core of it. And we're, you know, whatever that is, right? You know, so obviously if you're out on a cold day, you're probably not going to get 180. The goal is to try to select the proper tire and compound that works in the range that you're operating in. You know, we we can't affect the weather, but we can make a tire compound choice that's more suited for what our application is. And I think so many people, and I've seen it for years and years and years, they miss the boat on that. You know, they just, they buy, either A, they buy what's available, or they buy what their friends buy, or they buy what they've heard on the internet. Uh, you know, Dunlop is the same. Dunlop, you guys know, you got you have compounds. You know, you right. can get a 0129 or a 0057. And I, I've been around long enough to know what the Dunlop compounds are, <laughs> you know. And, that, and now I guess we're at, a, you know, an R3, R5, R7, R8, right? Yep. Uh, that is the you know, new one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those tires are the same. You know, the, all of them are the same. Every, every, every person or every company that makes a tire, they do it with a specific purpose, you mm-hmm. know, and they do testing and, and, you know, like I said earlier, it's all a scientific thing to give you the performance for what you're trying to do. I think a lot of people will watch them, uh, particularly World Superbike on our world and the Pirelli world, just because, you know, WSBK is, is a spec tire, right? Just like Moto A is with Dunlop. Uh, and so they'll just look at hard, medium, soft and all that kind of stuff. And then we get over here and they want to try to buy the same tire that the guys are running in WSBK, which is for rears is primarily X's and zeros. Uh, but what the people here don't realize we're in Texas in the summer. I mean, we, shoot, we had two race rounds this weekend where ambient temperature was 105 <laughs> track temp was 150 plus. And I, you know, I'm talking to guys at Pirelli and they're like, we don't have no data on anything like that. You know, in Europe, in Europe, they take a summer break. Yeah, you know so and even moto gp you go to qatar and uh they race at night uh i think probably the hottest place that moto gp ever goes is going to be and they just went there for the first time in years is uh indonesia you know right. and, and they had a horrible time so there's a lot of science behind this i don't just sell black rubber donuts you know? <laughs> and, and 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 i think it comes from me being still racing you know right it's like the sport, I love the sport, man. 
you know i love the fact that you guys are on here reaching out to a guy in texas and y'all you guys too i think are from what you told me are halfway across the country from each other right that is correct most yeah, of the way sure. across the country yeah just about yeah yeah most of the way so 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 i'll oh, go ahead cole i, I just hear your question again yeah let me let me dig in a little bit more so for uh well, let me start with the first question, which will lead into the second question. Okay. So how fast or fast is maybe not the right word. What kind of abilities uh, on a club racer or let's just say a track day, somebody that's going to the track, they're, they're doing track days and they haven't switched over to a slick yet. They're still running a DOT. No. The, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. What is, what is the point that you think it's beneficial for somebody doing track days to step up to a full slick um there's a couple of things that go into that question so first when we talk about a dot there is a differentiation uh first and foremost you have a true what we call a street tire so in our brand it's going to be like the rosa lineup or then the next step would be like the course rosa courses right mm -hmm. but those are still the construction is way different uh they're not I mean, they give great performance at a track day. You know, I, I still turn some pretty daggum good lap times uh, on, on a, you know, a Pirelli quote-unquote street tire. Um, DOT is just Department of Transportation, right? Right. right. Uh, so the separation, what makes a tire DOT legal is if it has sipes in it to propel water in the event you had to ride on a highway where there was water you know, and puddling, right? So now when it comes to our particular tires, I'm I'm not sure about Dunlops anymore because I know they, you know, last year we, we got this new compound, right? So I haven't really kind of delved into what their options are as far as what we call a DOT. So a DOT for me is still a an SC3 compound, which is the hardest compound that Pirelli makes. However, they also make that, same slick and then they'll just cut sipes in it mm -hmm. to make it dot legal okay so technically i still have a very high performance option for track day guys and it is different than the softer compounds in the fact that the carcass construction is a little different Every, everything about it's a little bit different it's a very high performance tire we still race on them if the conditions meet the necessary requirements but they heat up a lot faster, they, you know, for the track day guys, it gives them an option that gives them a more performance oriented track tire that is still legal for them to ride on the street if they do some street riding. Now, I think more to your point, what you're trying to kind of question is at what point should a track day rider consider getting off a street tire and move more to a track performance tire? Yeah, that's fair. That's that's a better way of asking it. Okay. So my answer to that is first and foremost, I'm going to literally there there's two parts to it. Reality of is most track day guys, riders don't have the skill set or the bike set up to outperform the street tires they're on. That's me. That's reality. <laughs> right? It's true. Um, so it you know, it's all kind of like a humble pie. If you're willing to look yourself in the mirror, because we're all, nine times out of 10, we're talking about budget. That's right. the biggest restraint in this sport. How much money can I afford? 
Track days are expensive now. Bikes are expensive. Everything's expensive now. Fuel's expensive now, right? So if I was an average, even though I was an average track day rider and not, I don't ride too much on the street anymore, I would look myself in the mirror, and, and I know everybody's going to kill me for saying this because it's going to hurt my business, um, but <laughs> I, I would look myself in the mirror and i say, you know, if I, if I do a fair amount of track days throughout the year on a street tire, I'm going to get more wear out of it. You know, just it's the construction's different. The rubber, everything about those tires is different. So they're, they're designed to go further mileage down the road, right. As an OEM tire, but they're still great on the track. I mean, these, you know, it's kind of like the bikes themselves. You go by any given super bike or sport bike, even at the race level, we don't do much to it, put suspension on it and maybe some exhaust and tune it and you know, they got way more horsepower than we can use anyway. Right. You know, well, than most of us can use, you know. <laughs> um, then the other side of it comes to what's my goal at a track day? You know, am I an avid track day rider? Do I realistically do way more track days than I do riding on the street? You know, am I falling in love with this sport from a track orientation, you know, sense? If that's the category you find yourself into, then I would say, why waste the time? Because the more you ride on the track, going faster is a byproduct of being comfortable on the motorcycle. Right. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel going into the turn. You get more seat time on the brakes and the throttle. It, it's just repetition, right? So there's a lot of that going on. If you're an average track day rider and you don't really ride much on the street at all, don't wait. There's no point in it. You know, you're, you're not, you make the changeover and I couldn't tell you how many times once somebody goes from a street tire to either our SC3 DOT or to our softer compound slicks, the, the result is the same. They always come back and say, well, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> it, it's really, and, and I don't care what, what brand you're on. It, mm, it, right. It's like the, the, way that the tires are constructed and the performance that they give in the feeling that they give compared to a street tire it's night and day i mean it's immediately noticeable immediately yeah. noticeable so you know that's kind of two categories that i would i would just ask myself or look myself in the mirror if i don't do a whole lot of track days you know stay with the street stuff you know you're probably not going to be able to outride it but if you're an average track day guy don't waste your time you know just make the jump you know, cause it's only going to help you get faster, quicker. So on that though, if I go to slicks, you said you're a tire warmer promoter. Then I got to get tire warmers. I got to get stands. If I don't know how to put my bike on stands, I got to bring a friend to do it for me. Or I got to <laughs> figure out how to get my bike on stands by myself all the time. That's like, and then a generator, if the track doesn't have power fuel for the generator. So is that trade off worth it? You want my honest answer? Yeah. If you can't afford it, you pick the wrong sport. <laughs> that's my oh, honest there's answer. The, there's the actual truth. Uh, All right. Uh, that's that's the actual literal truth, right? Yeah. Like there there's no way to shake this. This sport is expensive, man. I mean, just an average. When I when I started out, man, I think I went through four or five motorcycles my novice year. I would wreck one, I'd just go buy another one. You know, I'd you know, I'd buy a used track bike out anywhere. And at the time I was on uh Suzuki, so I was on Jixer six hundred. And man, I think I bought two at a racetrack on a given race weekend because I did something to mine. I would just buy another bike for like four grand, mm-hmm. swap everything over, 
you know, you, those days are gone. You know, tires back then you could probably get, I think, um, we won't count those Dunlop UKs that I started on because they were still expensive, even even 15 years ago. But they were a great tire. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so you know, tires. Unfortunately, tires really haven't increased that much. If, if, if and I'll go over that in a minute. But everything's expensive, man. So, it, like I said, it kind of goes back. What I tried to educate people on, and I made a huge mistake when I started out in the sport, I didn't have anybody giving me this information. I didn't have anybody saying, Hey, Hamlet, take a beat, man. You know, take a beat. Like you, you don't need to blow all of this for a novice year. How long do you want to foresee yourself being in the sport? So if you foresee yourself loving this and, you know, two, three, four, five years or longer, like there's nothing wrong with budgeting yourself. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, that was a huge downfall for me. By the time I got really a lot better than what I was at when I started, I could barely afford to race anymore because I blew everything at the beginning. There is the thing about the generators and the tire warmers uh, and the fuel. But here's what my answer, other answer is to that. The worst thing you can do to a tire is heat cycle it. Okay. So a heat cycle, at least in our world, is probably anything more than a 55-degree temperature swing. So if you're a track day guy and you do, on average, six sessions a day, and you put a brand-new set of tires on, by the end of that day, you've heat cycled that tire six times. So I don't care how good it looked, that chemical that we talked about earlier, over time, every heat cycle, it degradates. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't break the rubber down. And you've probably seen over, you know, over time or heard stories about somebody that had a tire on their bike, bike been sitting in the garage three or four years and they drug it out and went and rode it. Bam. Yep. And they said, the the tires look great. Yep. Science. The beauty of, there's a misconception about tire warmer usage that we only use them because we want the tires heated up immediately as we go onto the track. Now that's true. You know, it is a safety issue. But the, the, the reality is that's a byproduct. The main reason why we use tire warmers is because if I buy the same set of tires at the beginning of that track day and I use tire warmers all day, I've only heat cycled them one time. They don't right. heat cycle until your end of the day. Uh, and I, I'm not sure or familiar with, you know, how you your organizations run up there. But, you know, the bulk of our track days or, or double days, you know, so we get right. quite a few guys that do Saturday and Sunday to try to take the most of their off time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so they did the same six sessions a day. That's 12 heat cycles on a brand new set of tires. By the time they come back, those tires ain't that great anymore. Right. You know, are they going to flip you on your lid? There's a possibility. And that's yeah. just the honest truth. And, you know, you think about your generator purchase, your tire stand purchase, your tire warmer purchase. Those are one-time purchases. You know, generally, if you take care of them, I've got a set of tire warmers I've had for over a decade. So what, what brand What brand are those, if I can ask? Uh, KLS. Interesting. I've run yes. KLS. Because yes. I'm so, rough on tire warmers. I, I, I love the KLS. I mean, it's, it's a European brand. It's, it's what, you know, most of all of the professional teams in Europe run. You know, they obviously for them, money is no object. So that that's kind of says something. That's their choice. Right. Um the construction is phenomenal. Like they just, they're way more durable 
Yeah, way more durable. The outer shell and all the stuff is made of Nomex, so it doesn't burn. It's the same material that like they use to make astronaut suits. The inner, now I run the Pro Series stuff. Most of your tire warmers have like windings, right? The right. heating elements. Uh, so the ones that I run, all of that interior is carbon fiber mat. So there okay. are no hot spots on the tire. Um, and yeah, very simple. You don't have to deal with a bunch of plugs. You just plug them in, high or low. Easy enough. They've got two sensors in them. One reads the external temperature of the tire. The other one actually reads the rim temperature. Wow. So their technology is all based upon rim temperature. And, uh, you know, if we get into a lot of other technical type of stuff, like for my big, my fast guys, I don't just go with a temp gun and, you know, we have other things that we base our settings and stuff on if you will i don't want to i don't want to give i don't want to give away too much but but it, i thought, it a lot I thought more you said this was a family sport You're supposed yeah, to share all the yeah, info yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know um it, it it well and it's funny you know obviously i said earlier that's what i fell in love with and uh there i think most of us divulge just about anything you know but there are you know when we're talking about now that it's my business not just competitive anymore you know, I wasn't making money really when I was racing. I was just doing it for the love of the sport. You know, now this is my business and I have, you know, championship riders that I support and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we do our testing and there's certain things that we do to, to try to get data, if you will. Right. It's just, it's just data. That's all it is. Yeah. Know? No, we're not, we're not actually going to ask you for any secrets. I understand. We actually kind of have talked before about how maybe there are people that are not quite secretive enough with their info. Um, uh, so. yeah, I, I think, man, that's been going on since the dawn of the internet, right? Yep. You know, it, yeah. it, it, and it doesn't matter where you're at. It's, it's anybody can post anything. And the sad part about it is it, it can spread like wildfire, but what I never really saw is people with the correct information, you know, right. re refuting it you know and saying hey i seen this post and that's that's absolute garbage you know this this is not you know, er everything that i'm telling you right now is not hearsay this is this is all direct data information that either a i've learned through experience or over racing for so many years or because i am a pirelli vendor you know and i have access i talk to my engineers and, and stuff like that and they they give me all of this information you know, right. I'm not a rocket science by any mean. <laughs> so it's all of the stuff that I do is just straight from people that know way more than I do. So, um, you know. So you mentioned a minute ago a bike, you know, sitting in the garage for eight years and somebody brings it out and the tire's garbage. What do you know about uh, cold weather damage on tires? So if I'm assuming you're talking about the term what we call cold tear correct no or, or no, just, just damaging where it's cracking in cold weather so i'm i'm in utah right i'm out of storage over the winter but an actual yeah, well, i'm in the midst of i'm in the midst of winter it's not been so bad this year but you know it gets cold here and every yeah. year every year at the end of the year i'm trying to burn up the rest of my tires because i'm gonna store them mama won't let me leave them in the house so i gotta i gotta have them out in the non-heated shop so if I have a pair of slicks that are, say, brand new that I didn't get to, mm -hmm. 
What's the danger of ruining them if it's 20 below for two months? I mean, you're you're talking about 20 below ambient temperature outside. What's what's the temperature in the shop? I mean, I know it's not climate controlled, it's not heated, but obviously without below. the windshield and so is right. it still that direct, pretty direct correlation um, between Probably. outside temperature and okay. Um, I mean, I'm I mean, exaggerating a little bit. Let's say <laughs> let's say it hovers around zero for. Okay, zero zero's not horrible, right? That's just that's right around the freezing mark. So the first thing that I would do in your situation or anybody else that's in a similar situation, you know, the least expensive way to do it is is take the wheels off the bike and wrap them in blankets, you know, something something heavy that can at least offset some of that chill factor once they get below freezing that could be an issue not necessarily with the chemical compound but with just the rubber itself you know you can start getting uh, dry cracks and things of that nature uh, and and i think that probably goes for any any tire you know um unless it's like a, a purpose-built snow tire or something it's probably designed compound wise and construction to deal with the cold a little better uh obviously everything that we're running on the track was not designed for cold you know it's designed sure. to operate at, at 150 plus degrees once it gets on the track beg mama <laughs> you know if you can find a closet to put them in uh <laughs> it's obviously the best thing you can do depending on how long your winter months is and you know i'll go back to budgetary stuff you know i look at numbers and stuff if it's you know, if I could go get a climate controlled storage, you know, they're month to month. You don't have to sign a contract. If I get a climate controlled storage, it's not that far from me for a hundred bucks, 150 bucks a month. That's cheaper than buying new tires. Right. You know, and it sounds crazy, but if you put pen to pad, it's less expensive, you right. know? So, yeah. so there's, there's things that you can do, you know, tire warmers are also, if you end up with a set of tire warmers, I'll just wrap them. You know, I leave the warmers on. I don't plug them in, but, you know, just anything that you can kind of do to offset it. Um, and if it gets that cold for that long, I, I wouldn't, I would just buy a new set when you start riding again, man. I mean, I know nobody likes to hear that because it's an expenditure that, that, that they don't, you know, it's like we pay for something. We want to get our right. use out of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think that's the bulk of everybody that is in this world. Uh, but dude really is is four hundred dollars worth uh you know in my case hundred plus thousand dollar hospital bills you know least case scenario bike damage you know what's a set of fairings cost nowadays and then you put plastics and decals and stuff back on it you know clip-ons right. rear sets all of that stuff if you damage it, it's well more than the cost of a set of tires right yeah so yeah and that's just the bike we're not even talking that's about it. you. Leathers, helmet. <laughs> yep. It's a hard truth, but hard to argue with you too, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, after uh, putting it in, in the right words there. It is, and I think that uh, I'm hoping to try to get that, you know, continue to, I don't know, hound on the message. I mean, like I said, man, I'm, I come from humble means, and I, I've, never, I've never made a lot, right? You know, but so I get the budget, and I get – it, it's it's a, an expense, you know, but after doing it so long, the words I'm speaking right now just come from I've done it everybody else's way when I got into the sport and I look back on it now. I spent 100 times more, 100 <laughs> times more. And we're talking thousands at six figures. Right. Yeah. 
easily, right? Uh, between damaged motorcycles, damaged helmets, damaged leathers, boots, gloves, myself included, if I had just put on a new set of tires, you know, or at least a rear, you know, yeah. uh, something, it's, it's, it's just not worth it, man. Just hey, Ethan. It. Yeah. I got a pair of brand new slicks. I'll sell you half off. <laughs> he, he, he might be able to use them. How cold are they? <laughs> yeah, cold uh, are well, they hey, right let's now? let's drop that topic. Uh, if it's cold where you're from, bring your tires inside. If you're cold, they're cold. Bring the tires inside. I that, think that kind of sums yeah, that up. <laughs> that, that's a good way to look at it. If you can't stand to be outside where your tires are at, it's probably good good that you just bring them. <laughs> tires tires are like dogs, right? You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you about um about pressure. Okay. And uh. You've mentioned you're a data guy. I appreciate that because I like data a lot. That's a, my brain's always doing graphs and numbers and all that. that. That's how I see things well, right? So how much change, and then this might just be a dumb question to begin with, but this is how I'm going to ask it anyway. How much change in tire performance does one pound of pressure difference make? A lot. Okay. No, nobody wants Nobody wants to believe that. But the truth is, one PSI is extreme, on, on uh, especially on a tire that's that small. And here's an example that I will give that, at least in the United States, a lot of people probably are, are familiar with if, if you've ever watched NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, were, they come into the pits and, and they did a pretty good job with their telecasts and stuff where the announcers would kind of tell you what a particular driver and crew chief were doing as far as changes to the car every time they came in the pit they would say they dropped a half a pound uh you know and you're talking about four tires much larger Mm -hmm. and they work in increments of a half a pound you know i work in half a pound even on the bikes it's difficult be the biggest difference for what we deal with is because there's so much influence from rider input you know, so if you're talking from a beginner level and, you know, coming off the street, getting into track days, is it as critical? No. What I would say, you're better to be a little high in pressures than low, uh, because the lower the pressures, the more the carcass is going to flect, deflect and, and flex. You know, chances are higher of tearing the tire with low pressure scenarios. So, you know, my advice to anybody, especially if you're getting out on the track day stuff, is start out at the higher realm. You know, if you've got a a track day vendor, a tire support vendor, uh, or just, you know, connection with who you're buying your tires from, if they give you a recommendation, you know, I would always start out at the higher side and, and just see how you feel. Because for one person, a pound, they may never notice it. But just because they didn't notice it doesn't mean it didn't have an effect on the tire. Right. So my goal, obviously, especially with my my newer guys and, and track day guys, because these things are so expensive, it's it's kind of a combination of I want you to get safety first, best performance, but I don't want you to feel like you're getting the shaft because you went and did two track days and now all of a sudden your tires are all shredded and you got to buy more tires, right? You know, the goal is to do through science and data, maximize the value of the investment that you're making. 
you know, because it is, it's an investment. We spend money and for that money, we expect a return, right? Our return is performance and longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, there is those, those things that are, they have an effect. So it is important. A pound is, is important. Whether you feel it or not, that that's a whole nother story, you know, but I have plenty of data that uh, supports supports what we're saying so i guess uh to put this in perspective for for probably someone at my level and and someone that's not doesn't write as much maybe and maybe doesn't have access to someone like yourself that can go give them the info they want how much if i was going out and i was doing a track day i hit my first session uh well let's say by the third session so i'm warmed up the track's pretty well warmed up we'll just take everything kind of even across the board um should i change pressures like a pound at a time until I get somewhere that I'm like, Oh, I felt that or. So this, I, I see what you're saying. Um, so let me put this out there. The way I think about that question and the way that I would handle it personally, if I was in your shoes, um, I've never been one that's afraid to make changes. Right. So mm-hmm. what I have learned over the years is that even big change, let's say we were, we were going, four or five PSI, right? Let's say you started out. So, you know, I think <clears throat> with the newer compounds of Dunlops, I, I know you guys are running higher than what the old KR451s were, you know, it was pretty common to be, you know, around, you know, 34, 35 in the front and, you know, 18, 19 in the rear off the warmer. Yep. Um, you know, now I think at least from what we've saw down here with the new R R3s, R5s and such, you know, they're running, they kind of react a little bit better to a little bit higher than what the old ones did. But, but let's just say you started out at 25. Now, here's the big caveat. It has to be on the same day, similar track conditions, weather conditions, all that, right? I am not afraid to go out there and start at 25 because I want to start higher than lower. And then I'll do something stupid and I'll go out at 20. Okay. Because you're in control of this, right? I don't know where yep. my hand's at. You're in control of whichever whichever one turns the throttle. I'm, I'm not used to looking back. Uh, all good. <laughs> you, you always have the control of that, you know. But uh, I'm a firm believer in in making uh, big swings at first, especially for, for guys that don't have all the seat time. So you can actually feel a difference. And once you actually physically feel a difference, then you could go back and say, Either A, that was positive or negative, you know, and then over time, let's say you like 20. It felt good to you. Mm -hmm. Then you have to just watch your tire wear and say, is that feeling worth the exacerbated tire wear? Because the tire is going to wear out sooner, right? Right, right. So there's a lot of variables in there, but don't be afraid to try stuff, man. You know, especially, okay. you know, for the, for the average guy, if you're not looking at getting into competition stuff, though, I would, you know, my first response would be stick with the higher side of the pressure range because that's just going to give you a little bit long, better longevity, you know. And let's face it, if you're not getting up to certain paces, even at that higher pressure, you're not at a point where you have to extract the maximum grip out of that tire. Right. You know, like you're, you're still not there yet. Um, but you know, some of it's psychological, a lot of it's psychological. Yeah. I mean, I believe that that's what I think that was half the reason I went to slicks in the first place was cause I, I just wanted to feel better. And who knows if 
I was stickier or any better, or whatever, but I can say that I I rode faster and harder that year because I was on slicks and I felt yeah. like I had this magical tire under me. Yeah. And I'll stand behind that all day because I think that if you gain confidence, you're going to be faster. And being faster is going to make you better. So 100%. 100%. The, you know, I 100% I agree with that statement. I live by that statement. I don't care if it's changing the angle of a shift lever on a rear set or, or a clip-on. You know, the mm -hmm. more comfortable you feel on the motorcycle, the faster you will go. And the faster you go, the more motivation you will have to go faster. Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's built. And that's the downside of, of being so expensive because it's addicting. It, it really yeah. can be addicting, you know. And uh, But I also think it's, you know, we get up every day. Uh, we've educated ourselves from the time we were wee lads in, in, you know, some higher education and stuff. And we are, you know, our first primary thing is to take care of ourselves. We go get a job, we make money, and, and then, you know, generally a handful of us throughout society are fortunate enough to find a hobby and a passion. And, you know, the old saying is true. You can make all the money in the world, but you can't take it with you. Right. You know, so uh, I try to look at the cost and the expense and the justification of that expense in a different manner than I think most. It's like I put my safety first. You know, I put, I try to put my safety first and my performance first. And if it costs me an extra 400 bucks or whatever the cost is that I didn't anticipate spending, I will still do that now long before I will take the risk. And then it's just, you know, as long as you keep building the confidence, you, as you start getting faster, you learn more things because right. there's certain things that your body will react to at different speeds because you visually see things. And your brain processes them different at one speed to another. You know, if you're driving 45 miles around the racetrack, it's la di da di da right? Anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into a track day or, or a race mode where you're, you know, anywhere between 130 and 180, depending on the bike and the track, you know, that's, that's a whole different world. You don't right. ride the same. You just don't. Um, so I, I think building on that comfortability level is key you know, for anybody. Um, oh, ooh, I got a really good question. Uh Oh, how important is it on a motorcycle to balance your tire or your wheel rather? Uh, front. I'm pretty adamant about it. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of it depends on pace, you know, cause you're, you're, unless the wheels like way, way out of balance, you generally are not going to feel anything transmitted to the, to the bars, until you're, you know, 110, 120 plus, but, uh, fronts I'm very adamant about rears, quite honestly, you know, I don't really pay too much attention to. And the reason why is that at least for what we're doing, like in the, in the, like the competition stuff, right? Man, these tires got so much grip and the bike's got so much power. I can line up a tire, you know, the, most of the tires, a lot of the tires have like little balancing dots on the sidewall. And we use Correct. that, we'll, we'll, we'll line those with the valve stem, uh, which will typically reduce the amount of weight that we have to put on the wheel, right? It never fails. You know, I, I put a rear tire on the bike and those things have so much grip and the bikes have so much power, they, they just spin on the wheel. You know, so I can spend the wheel weights and the time, and, and I do it, you know, especially for, for my track day guys, you know, because they're a little more in their head about it. You know, but for a lot of the guys, I, I got guys that say, you know, don't worry about it. 
me personally, I don't worry about a rear because I know after three laps, <laughs> the tires moved. So what's right. the point? Yeah, I never so, went about that. <laughs> yeah. But when you eat when you eat through them that fast, yeah. the, the weight of the tires changing. Yeah, it, it is. And you know the biggest thing with, about the balancing is just vibration and stuff, right? So most of your vibration you're going to feel on the front anyway because that's what's connected to your handlebars. Right. Um, I mean, to feel a, a a rear wheel vibration, man, that, that's more than likely if you're feeling vibration from a rear wheel the wheel's bent you know something something's not right and i don't care if you're on uh uh, uh r3 all the way up to a ducati whatever they make you know that's just the facts i mean that's just it's science it is what it is well, yeah. i think i think that i think that's good to hear because i think the only time my rear tire gets balanced is when when you guys do it for me yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, and I found this funny, too, because I've, I've read across guys that, you know, they come because I'm available, right? You know, they'll take advantage of it while I'm at the track or whatever, and they'll come back and ask, would you balance tire? Yeah, I balance tire. Or no, I didn't, depending on what the scenario is, right? But then there's some of them that I know because I deal with their wheels all the time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so I'm like, I know these guys. And so I could tell, like, if they bring me a wheel and it's been in between rounds, they've put a new tire on the wheel to go practice somewhere at a, you know, a track day or a member day. And then I see them again at the racetrack and it's a different, it's a new tire, but the same weights are on it. So I'm like, <laughs> you're going to give me and ask me if I balance it, but yet you do this. You know, I'm like, come on guys, let, let's, let's, uh, let's be realistic. About this stuff. But again, it goes to it, some of that still goes back to the psychology of the sport, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, if it's in your head and, you know, the reality is I don't really think it matters much to balance a rear wheel. But if you want me to do it, by God, I'm going to do it. You know, right. so. Um, Easy day. So, so in your line of work, how do you decide? I mean, this is such a simple, stupid question, probably. But how do you decide how many tires to take to whatever event you're going to? <laughs> no, I, that is not a simple, stupid question. Uh, <laughs> that is a very complicated question. To that's his honest. whole, that's like 90% yeah. of his job, brain power no, goes no, to that. You just really offended is. him. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's really not. I guess the long and short of it is, first and foremost, there's there's only so much room in the trailer, right? So, I mean, you know, physically, I can only take so with me at, at one time. But uh, for me, we... I use an inventory system. Now it won't, this will be the first year that that will be a benefit to me. But last year when I started, I tracked. So all of my, at least all of my racers and quite a few of the repeat track day guys, uh, we have them in the system. So as I made my first order going into this system, I looked at who bought what this time, this track last year. And then you, you know, you kind of base it on that. I think a lot of it is repetition once once you're doing it for a while, uh, which obviously this is all new for me. So I'm trying to use more data and, and try to get to that realm faster uh, mm-hmm. than my predecessor. But, there's, you know, once you deal with the, the same number of riders over and over again, you, you kind of know what bikes they're running, you know what compounds they're using, you kind of get an idea of how many they buy a weekend or what at, and, you know, you can it's an educated guess 
And it's really that. It's an educated guess. I mean, I won't sit here and say that I've nailed it 100% last year. You know, there was a couple of times where I was either out of a specific, not necessarily a specific size that would work on a bike, but there was a couple of times where I had, a, you know, a compound that a client wanted. And, you know, I was like, ah, shoot, sorry, man. I sold my last one. And, you know, I would do the Okie dance. I would go to this person and say, hey, I just sold you that, but do you really need it? Because I got this guy, you know. <laughs> uh yeah, and that's just trying to do the best that I can for my customers. But um, so it's educated guess. Second, second part of that. A lot of times for track days, especially around here, when it starts to get to be the end of the year, you guys don't want to be stuck with a lot of inventory either. Going into the cold months, right? So, so they'll they'll ask, or they'll they'll let us know that we should be reaching out. And telling you guys, hey, I'm gonna be there. I plan on using five fronts and six rears. Right. Is that, is that helpful to you? Absolutely. You uh, I mean, yeah. In a perfect world, that would be nice if you know if I had. I guess you could kind of just label that a pre-order, right? You know, if a guy came in and just emailed me. Uh, it's nice in theory, but the reality of it is, you know, at least for me when I make an order, you know, I'm usually 10 to 14 days out. Right. So the only way that would really work a hundred percent is if everybody gave me, you know, two weeks prior to an event, which you guys, it, happen in it never world. happens. We, we, you know, we, we race motorcycles and ride motorcycles. It's like, Oh, we're getting off tonight. And I still got to change the oil and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the world we live in. Uh, so, you know, we do our best to try to combat it. Uh, my situations, a little bit different being down here where I'm at because we ride pretty much year round. Uh, so I don't, it, it, from a business side of it, yes, your statement's still true. I mean, I didn't want to be sitting on a full load of tires going into the off season. Uh, but for me to house some inventory through the, through our off months is, is not uncommon. You know, we're, we're still selling stuff. Um, you know, guys doing practice days, member days, and things like that. Um, and heck, even our our um, track day stuff. I mean, we got our first track day this coming weekend, so middle of February. Mm -hmm. And our last one with that same group is December 1st. Wow. But, yeah, so we don't really have jealous. off time. <laughs> yeah. It, it, living in the South has its benefits, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> At least from a motorcycle standpoint. <laughs> I don't know about much else, but from a motorcycle standpoint, it has its benefits. So, uh, but, but yeah, we just, you just make the best possible decision you can with the information that's in front of you. Being a, being a vendor, there's the business side of it, the money side of it. Obviously having inventory that you don't sell is lost money, but then there's the other side of it, the emotional side and the, the family of the track kind of curious would just person personal question opinion based here but would you rather come out of a season with more inventory but you're able to help everyone every day never didn't have what someone needed or would you rather kind of ride that fine line and maybe a couple people don't quite get what they want i'd rather find a fine line okay to be i mean to be honest with you from a business standpoint because uh i i take that question and that my answer relates to flying in an airplane you know they always give you the safety features first and they tell you the thing's going to drop out and if you have small children put your mask on before you do them reason being if you can't breathe and you're dead you can't help your child uh so from a financial standpoint you know to be solvent in business and, and being able to be back 
for the next season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to short anybody, but if I had to make a hard choice, that would, that would be the route that I would go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll short one person or short the whole, it, yes. the whole group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's not, it, it's crazy because it's not really as simple as it seems, you know, it's like, if I don't make it, you know, that's a whole transitional thing. There's a lot of operation, a lot of moving parts behind the scenes that nobody sees. They just think we show up with a trailer and, you know, we put tires on your wheels and, and off you go. Uh, man, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, if something happened to me or we couldn't do it, you know, it's like Pirelli, you know, either I myself or probably a combination of the two, I would assume, you know, we would have to find a suitable you know, not just anybody, you know, somebody that cares, that's passionate about it, that's going to take care of the customers and, and do it, you know, in the proper manner that Pirelli's comfortable with. Right. Uh, um, so, and let's face it, you know, do you know of anybody that you at a drop of a hat would just give up their life and say, I'm going to travel around and work, you know, 30 some odd, 37 weekends out of a year? <laughs> yeah, nah, not really. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's easy to just think that we just do what we do. Uh, and in some regards, it, the labor side of it, yeah, it, it's pretty simple. But, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. You got to deal with upkeep and maintenance on equipment and getting back and forth from, from where I'm at to any particular individual track, you know. So if, if I have a blowout or something like that, yeah, so there's a lot, just like any business. So I think... Um, you know, we try to make the best decisions financially that are going to make sure that we can be around to provide the service to our, our guys that we want to provide, you know, and that, and for me, that's huge. You know, I'm, I'm a very service oriented person. So did you guys see the, it relates. Did you, did you see what happened at, at Chuck Walla? Not this last round, but the round before. I did not. I was actually supposed to be there and competing, but it didn't work out for me that way. But so, so did but, you, it got canceled for rain. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And everybody was saying, you guys don't race in the rain. But what actually happened is, no, they don't normally race in the rain. So when it started raining, everybody ran to you guys and said, I need rain tires. And they didn't have enough for even a majority of the people. Correct. So it was not, they, they deemed it wasn't competitive. If everybody could have rain tires. Safe. Yeah. So I have a statement for you. Your lack of planning does not <laughs> constitute an emergency on my part. Yep. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you go back to the first statement that I talked about. There's only so much room in the trailer, right? Uh, you know, I'm at a club level. I'm, I'm not showing up with, uh, you know, I'm in a 41 foot bus and a 30 foot trailer, which is still a lot of trailer, but I don't have an 18 wheeler full of. I was going to say you're not thousand. Moto America. Yeah, this is not Moto America, right? You know, this is at a club level and in our club level is pretty serious. So with that being said, and I've, I had a couple of issues with some guys this past season where they look at me and I, I kind of pulled a fast or a joke on them. I was like, well, I don't have any rain tires because, you know, the weather was changing. And they're like, what do you mean you don't have any rain tires? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I don't, I've only got so much room in the trailer. Um, that There's some truth behind that. Now, I, I had enough to take care of those guys at that particular moment. 
but I, I made the point to, I use that to make a point to him going, if it does not rain and I don't have enough slicks, you're going to be mad at me. Mm -hmm. If it starts to rain and I don't have rain tires, you're going to be mad at me. So I just look at the statistics and go, we typically don't get a whole lot of rain where I'm at and mm -hmm. I don't sell a whole lot of rain tires. Uh, as a matter of fact, I changed my system to where I put it out to all of my guys. If you want rain tires this season, you need to order them and they'll be in on my next order. There's an, and it goes back to the business part that we just discussed too. There's an inventory side of that too. I mean, that's a lot of capital for mm -hmm. me to tie up on a specific tire that may or may not ever get sold. And then you start running into date problems. Yep. You know, I, I've seen tires, rain tires, where, you know, they were five years old, brand new, but five years old because the opportunity to need them didn't present itself in five years. Right. So now, now I'm looking at a safety factor. You know, I don't care if the tire's brand new, it's five years old. You know, so to me, that's a, yep. I'm going to chunk it. So as a business person, I can't afford to sit there and just throw out money. Right. You know, so it, when and, and everybody, I think, deep down in their heart, especially if it comes to, you know, whether it's track day or racing. I think we all individually know within ourselves, if it rains, am I going to be the guy that will go ride in the rain? Most track day guys are not. Right. <laughs> Just not. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. if they have rains, they're not race population, at least where I'm at, probably less than half, you know. So if you fall into those two categories, if it rains, I pay for my track time, I'm going to go ride to buy a set of rain tires and have them with you. You know, that that's my advice. There you go. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll say, I think it depends a lot on where you're from too. Cause there's definitely some parts of the country where it rains more often. And most of the people up there are just, yep, we're ready for it. We're used to it. That's what we're going to do. My biggest holdback is usually that it's only going to rain for the first hour or the first session. So even if I had rain tires, I don't know that I would waste the time swapping tires over and going when I'm cold and wet anyway, I might as well just hang out in the bus and yeah, and wait it out for an hour, you know? And so. and that's, that's really what it's all about, man. You just got to look yourself in the mirror and, and be honest with yourself. You know, you, you know who you are, mm -hmm. you know, I know who I am. You know, when I first started out, heck yeah, I was, I was out in the rain. It was miserable. <laughs> hated it but i had good success in it and now now <laughs> it's it, it's not worth the effort of having to dry a suit and, and be all sopping wet and all like it's you know but i've done this for so many years you know so a lot of those uh you experience once or twice and you kind of get your kicks and and then you i think everything evolves right and and if you're and that's with anything in life but if you're in something a hobby particularly long enough you will also evolve and how you feel about it yesterday may not be the same as how you feel about it tomorrow but what is the same is you still are passionate about it and you love it right it's just how you go about it and how you go about it tomorrow you know right. some of that will change over time but just be honest with yourself you know it's the same thing with uh, Guys that come in, here's a huge pet peeve, huge pet peeve. Oh, I crashed and I don't know what happened. Well, the bike <laughs> didn't crash itself. 
<laughs> I, I, I pretty much promise you that unless you had a, a tire failure or a chain failure or an engine blow that leaked, you know, it was fluid on it um, or you ran across some fluid on the track, you know, the bike didn't crash itself. So, you know, uh, ironically enough, you can hop off a motorcycle at anything over 20 miles an hour and that jerker will continue to stay upright and go straight for quite some time. So the bike didn't crash itself. If you can't be honest with yourself in this sport, then you're destined for a lot of pain, <laughs> a lot of money spent, <laughs> and a lot of failure. Uh, and, and that's just, just kind of the way it is. You know, yeah. you don't have to be out there and be the fastest guy. You just got to be honest with yourself and know where your limits are and what you're comfortable with and, and have fun. You know, yep. we're supposed to be doing this for fun, right? Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's why I do it. I'm yeah. not making any money doing it. That's for yeah, sure. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I certainly ain't making any money doing it. So that's about all I got. And I've, I, I do actually have to get to work here kind of soon. Got to go make the donut. I said I would feel for you, but I got to go to work too. I got to yeah. load three hundred something tires. So uh. <laughs> I don't know if I'd rather do that or do what I'm doing, but you know work is work so but hey it's been it's been awesome talking to you talking with you learning i think I, I definitely learned something i don't know about cole up there he's kind of a genius so he he could probably teach me a thing or three uh, you go. i don't think so i've learned some stuff <laughs> well that's good uh, that's good i gotta play uh, this i gotta play this back to mama so i can get them tires in the house that's what i learned there you yeah. go there you go big <laughs> thing so my, my big hey. key takeaways today i'm gonna say if you're cold they're cold bring them inside Yep. I'm going to say take care of your vendors because at the end of the day, they take care of you. 100%. And it's, it's, you're not the only one out there. They're taking care of all of us. So take care of them. And that being said, if you're in the South Central area, check out Chris Hamlet, Pirelli dealer. He's your guy. I think he just offered your help to just about everyone out there. So bring your questions to him and he'll answer them. <laughs> yeah, feel free. I mean, you can hit me up. I don't know. I'm not the hugest thing in the social media stuff. We we have Facebook and Instagram. I, I think it's scrcracing.com is our website, and I think all the other stuff links to that too. But, um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You know, like I said, I'm just a lover and a believer in the sport and, and just want to do my part to help keep it going and keep everybody as safe as I can and help you reach the, the maximum potential. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, th once again, thanks again for being here. And uh, I'll say to the to the people listening, click the subscribe button down below. Go check out Chris Hamlet. And if you're not going to the track yet, you should go to the track. Yeah, That's definitely. All it, it, it's fun. You, sh you should try it at least once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cole Easton, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. And uh, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, yeah that'd be Thank great. You. Thanks for coming on.